I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Tell your story. Author, psychologist, musician. Listen to Dr. Karen to encourage your life. I'm all about taking charge, taking charge of your thoughts, taking charge of your life. I say it every week and how sometimes when we have intense emotions, we can get caught ruminating and obsessing. And we've looked at the research and how that actually doesn't help us at all. In fact, it keeps us stuck and it keeps us depressed rather than helping move us forward. Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. Very important. Very important. What are they doing to keep that excitement and that in love feeling? Channel a path to a more authentic you. Okay, this week, fight all you want, but whenever you fight, you have to hold hands. Learn how to have true intimacy. Yeah, bottle that up and sell it. (laughs) We want to make sure that the activities we're doing together are charging us up, getting us excited, giving us pleasurable feelings, and then helping us stay attracted to one another. Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Love and life. I'm all about living authentically and finding the best version of you and living life to its fullest. Turn up your dial. Get connected. You're listening to Dr. Karen on Love and Life right now. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. On Love and Life, we cover it all. We look at how to have true intimacy in romantic relationships, more meaningful friendships, healthier family connections, more fulfilling careers, and we delve into what psych research teaches us about living happy, hopeful, positive, and authentic lives. Today's episode is a Q&A with all the single ladies. Each week, I always ask you to reach out with questions, and you do, which is great. Thank you so much for connecting with me and emailing me. And sometimes listeners have similar questions, so I thought it would be a good idea to share these questions on the podcast so that others could hear the answers. So keep the questions coming, and a really great way to do that is to record your question on your voice memo app on your phone, and then email it to me at karen at drkaren.me. Karen, K-A-R-I-N, at D-R-K-A-R-I-N dot me. And that way, when we listen to the question, we can actually hear your voice. You can remain anonymous if you'd like. That's fine. But we can hear your voice, and it kind of just makes the whole experience a little bit more intimate. So question number one. Hi, Dr. Karen. So I'm 28, and I haven't ever had a real relationship. But I'm super happy, and I love my job, and I love my friends, and I have a great life. Part of me sometimes wonders if I'm just becoming way too independent. I have such a great life. Maybe I'm subconsciously not allowing room for a man in my life. So just wondering, is it possible? possible to be so independent that you'll never be able to find love? I love this question because it's one I hear a lot and I am so glad to have the chance to address it with you and to address it on the podcast so that plenty of people can hear the answer because I feel very strongly about the answer and the short answer is no. No, no, no. It is not possible for you to become so independent that you'll never be able to find love. In fact, the exact opposite is true. And I stress this a lot because it's something that I really wish someone had told me when I was single for all those years. As time would go by in my 20s and then my 30s and then I'm 40 and still single, I too often would focus on what I was missing. Like, okay, I'm turning 30 and I'm still alone. Or, you know, the classic one for me was, you know, I was moving from apartment to apartment in Chicago and it was just like, here I go again packing up this whole apartment all by myself, moving all by myself to yet a new neighborhood all by myself, just me and the three cats. 
So I was focusing way too often on what I was missing, like all my friends are getting married and they're having kids and I'm not in that scene right now. And I should have been focusing on what I was gaining, which was strength and independence and the ability to take care of myself and to pack up my whole apartment by myself. I mean, of course, I had friends come over and help and stuff. But, you know, the the idea that I was doing that all by myself and I was financially responsible for myself and I was physically responsible for myself. I mean, yeah, it's no fun being sick on the couch by yourself, but you know, I can do it. I could handle it if necessary. And I think most importantly, and something I stress on love and life a lot is that emotionally I could take care of myself. So what I stress here to answer this question is that the years you spend alone prepare you to be a better partner eventually because you mature in so many ways and when you do meet someone you show up as a grown-up and I didn't come up with that phrase myself I wish I had I think that's from Dr. Robin who used to be on Oprah's show years ago a relationship expert but the idea is that you show up as a grown-up and you meet someone who's also a grown-up and then you partner through life hand in hand you lean on each other but you don't utterly depend on each other for support and in navigating your way through life. And so a concern I have is that when people are independent, they sometimes again see what they're missing or they see that there could be a negative. Like I hear this often. She's getting so independent. She's probably stuck in her ways and she'll never bend when the right one comes along. She'll miss out because she won't be willing to make compromises. And that's not true at all because when you're more independent, you become emotionally mature. So of course you're willing to make a compromise if it's with the right person. I mean, you're not going to compromise your values or your ethics or your morals, but you'll make a compromise like if someone's geographically challenged, you'll move if necessary. I mean, those small compromises will be totally worth it and you'll be able to see that they're worth it because you're mature and you're approaching this relationship with a rational approach and you're not approaching this relationship out of a neediness or a dependence. And one other issue I want to address on this topic is something I hear a lot too from women. Something like, well, I just must be so emotionally unavailable because these relationships aren't working out. Or, oh, I know for sure I sabotaged that last relationship. It's me, I must be doing something wrong. And here's something that people always forget. And so again, I'm so glad to have the chance to address this on the podcast. If you're emotionally unavailable, it's because you're not supposed to be available for that particular person. And if you've sabotaged a relationship, it's very likely because part of you knew that that was not the right relationship for you. So you got out of it. Now, another part of you wanted to be in that relationship and wanted to make it work no matter what, because that part of you is lonely or that part of you hates the dating scene, which I get, which I affectionately call the dating scene, the jungle, because it's a jungle out there. And so that part of you that is like, I just want to find someone so I can be done with the search and just move on with my life. And that part of you that's tired of people asking why you're single, that part of you was highly motivated to stay in the relationship. And that part of you (laughs) looks at the other part of you and gets mad (laughs) because it's inconvenient that you were emotionally unavailable and that that part of you sabotaged a relationship because that part of you was, to my mind, the healthy part that is living authentically. But the other part of you that wanted to stay in that relationship gets irritated and then starts name calling. So you're basically waging war within yourself. And you may not be fully aware of that because that's kind of unpacking your own emotional processes and your own psyche in a way that we don't always do every day. 
Now, people really resist this notion because, again, they want to pathologize the experience of being single. They want to say they're doing something wrong, and if they'd fix that flaw, that all of a sudden they'd miraculously meet the one. But oftentimes, our responses aren't 100% in our awareness. I mean, we do something, we react, we respond, we have a feeling, and we're not 100% sure what that's about. I can't tell you how many people's dating and relationship so-called pathologies miraculously disappear once the right person comes along. It's like, oh, I was so messed up, except then I met this really great fit for me, and all of a sudden, I'm not emotionally unavailable. And all of a sudden, I'm not too rigid and stuck in my ways. And all of a sudden, I'm not sabotaging the relationship. So you have to give space for the possibility, which is a strong possibility, that you just haven't met the right fit for you. And when you do, these pathological traits that you have will miraculously disappear. A great book for this is called It's Not You, 27 Wrong Reasons You're Single by Sarah Eckel. And it's fantastic. It's very similar. It's actually the only book out there that I know that has similar themes to my book. And I would highly recommend it. I think it'll be very empowering for any of you who are feeling that you keep questioning yourself and your experience in relationships and then finding yourself veering in the direction of blaming yourself. And to wrap up this question, let me share this fantastic quote that really explains what I'm talking about here with this independence. I found it on Instagram uh, on an account I follow called Ecstatic Notions. And here's the quote. The capacity to be alone is the capacity to love. It may look paradoxical to you, but it's not. It is an existential truth. Only those people who are capable of being alone are capable of love, of sharing, of going into the deepest core of another person without possessing the other, without becoming dependent on the other, without reducing the other to a thing, and without becoming addicted to the other. They allow the other absolute freedom because they know that if the other leaves, they will be as happy as they are now. Their happiness cannot be taken by the other because it is not given by the other. So when I saw that, I was just really, really resonating with that notion because that's what I keep saying. And it's funny because I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do my Instagram posts and my quotes and stuff and, and I'll talk about happiness as you know, an inside job. That's one of the, the recent ones I posted you got to get happy on your own and all this. And people kind of laugh. Sometimes they're like, man, she just talks about it. Like how like her husband doesn't make her happy. And how like, <laughs> like she will just tell you a million times, like she does not need her husband. And, you know, I don't, but I want him and I'm so thankful for him. So when I saw that quote, that really, really summed up my philosophy on this. So I was really excited, like I said, to share that with you. Hi, I'm Maureen, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life in Mississippi. Hi, Dr. Karen. So my issue has to do with my mom. Overall, we have a pretty good relationship, but the one thing that drives me crazy is that the only thing she ever talks about is my love life. I'm very single and have been so for a while, so it's really annoying that she doesn't ever ask about my career or the fact that I just bought a house. She's so obsessed with the fact that I'm single and pretty much ignores all the other great things that are going on in my life. How do you think I can handle this without screaming at her or getting angry? Very frustrated. So I get this question a lot and so much that I actually devoted an entire chapter of my book to it. And there are several things going on here. First of all, when you're single, 
your parents, especially your moms, tend to worry about you a little bit more than when you're married. So I know for me, my parents, of course they would have been more comfortable knowing that I was coming home to my husband when I'm coming home from teaching an evening class that didn't wrap up till 10 and, and, and walking through the streets of Chicago by myself. I mean, yeah, I get it. So please remember that when your mom is nagging you and asking you all these questions and it feels very intrusive, it's really coming from a place of love and worry. So just try to keep that in mind. And your mom may also be worried that she somehow failed you. You know, like, how did I not teach my daughter the art of seduction? You know, that she's still single and she hasn't been able to snag a man. Or where are her feminine wiles? Or, you know, somehow taking ownership that like she messed up somehow in raising you and that's why you're still single. And another thing that's going on here is that your mom is probably getting some flack about you being single too. Because guess what? Middle-aged women can also be very catty and mean girly. So your mom may be getting stuff like, really? So Janie's still single? Really? Huh? Oh, wow. It's so great that she's so able to just be happy all alone all these years you know that kind of stuff like your mom may be getting these little these little nasty comments from her so-called friends and so that might be bothering her as well so she may be kind of wanting to rush you into being with someone so she can get these friends of hers off her back and finally when we're single parents tend to pry into our business a little bit more and I'm not saying that married couples don't have intrusive parents because they do for sure but I think when you're still single it's almost like you're still not a hundred percent grown up of course I totally disagree with this but I'm just saying in society's eyes there's actually a ton of research done by Dr. Bella DePaulo that looks at singleism and it looks at society's perception of singles that we're just we're running around town being crazy and, and, and juvenile and acting like overgrown adolescents and so this perception may have trickled into your parents' psyche a little bit to where they feel that they it's their business what's going on in your love life when really it's not. My recommendation here, first of all, is to make your mom read chapter two of my book, <laughs> which is titled, Your Mother is Wrong. You don't need to lose 10 pounds or wear a little more makeup. And really, I, I mean, I've had readers go, oh my gosh, thank you for this chapter. I made my mom read it and it really helped. So that's my first recommendation. And my second recommendation is just to have an adult-adult conversation with your mom about this. And I would suggest you do it before the next time she asks the questions about your love life. I would cut her off at the past, so to speak. So in your mind, just know like the next time you go out for coffee or go shopping, just take a moment, just look her in the eye, sit her down, have that cup of coffee and say something along these lines. And I really think it'll help. Mom, I know how much you love me and want me to be happy. And I realize that that's part of the reason you ask about my love life all the time. So first of all, I want to assure you that I am very, very happy. And I know it's hard for you sometimes because you want me to be married and that would help you maybe not worry about me so much. But here's the great thing is you don't have to worry about me because I'm already happy and living a great life. And it's actually possible to have a great life when you're single and then you can laugh. Ha ha ha, right? I mean, comic relief is good. And then you can continue on with something like this. So I want you to understand that from now on, I'll bring up my love life if and when there's something to talk about. If I don't bring it up, then there's nothing to tell you. So that gives us plenty of time to talk about my career and my new house and the trip to Europe I'm taking this summer and all the other wonderful things going on with me. And mom, I also want to thank you because you raised me to be so strong and independent. Because a lot of women in their late 20s wouldn't be happy like I am. 
And they might even be tempted to settle because their mom raised them to believe that they were nothing without a man. But since you did such a fantastic job instilling confidence and independence in me, I'm strong enough to wait for a really exceptional relationship instead of just being with someone to be with them. So thank you, mom, because you did your job. Okay, I know you're like, okay, that's a little manipulative, but it's really not manipulative because really you believe that, right? And sometimes we believe things, but it's so much better to believe them and articulate them. And this would be a great chance for you to A, set a boundary, just to set the parameters of the relationship. Like, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're not talking about in such a loving way while also giving your mom a great compliment because that is true. And I bet your mom, on the flip side of pressuring you and pushing you and basically insinuating that you need to get your act together and get married, I bet the other side of her is really proud of you and really proud of how independent you are and strong you are. And I know my mom, because my mom got married at 21. It was 1958. You know, she got married right after, like a week after her senior year of college. And I think she felt like, I don't know how to, to give Karen advice during this stage of her life because I was never single like this. And so she, you know, she definitely wanted to have her career in place before having kids and stuff, but she wanted to do that with a husband. And that was totally normal for the times. But I think the other side of her was so proud of me. Oh my gosh, look at Karen. And this is something she shared with me recently that, you know, now that my father's passed away, when she has lonely moments, she says things like to herself, she says, you know, Karen was single all those years and she must have been alone and lonely. So if she can do it, I can do it. So it's like she was the one who taught me to be strong and independent. And now she looks to me and that strength she instilled in me, she now derives strength from, which is really kind of beautiful. So I really encourage you. I don't know what your relationship is like with your mom, but I really encourage you to have that conversation. I think it could be really powerful and really change the dynamics of your relationship. Hi, I'm Miriam Connor, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life in Cleveland, Ohio. Hi, Dr. Karen. My question has to do with breakups. I've been on and off with the same guy for several years. We were even engaged at one point, but I called it off because it just didn't feel right. The problem is when we break up, I miss him so much that I end up getting back with him. We have some really great times together, but whenever we plan for the future, I break up with him because deep down, I just don't feel it's right. Why can't I just break up for good and move on and be done with this guy? And this is another one I deal with in my book because I hear this question a lot and it's something that I personally dealt with all the time over my 27 years of dating. And I think the the way to look at this is to recognize that the more good stuff there is in a relationship, the harder it's going to be to break up. In fact, many people can't ever really call off something and move on and they end up marrying someone because it's just too hard to imagine being apart and flying solo for a while. But they do this even though it's not the best fit for them. I've talked to a ton of people who are divorced and they've reflected over their dating relationship and the engagement and then the marriage with their spouse. And I've talked to so many people who are divorced who now look back and go, you know what? I don't think we were ever even meant to date as long as we did. We just got used to each other and dependent on each other. And then it just seemed like the next step was to get married. And just because we didn't want to deal with that really rough, rough time of 
just tearing that relationship apart and just moving on independently. And so we just stay together. And so that happens a lot and it happens more when there is a lot of good stuff going on because that's the part that you keep going back to. You're like, but there's this. And even that part of you that's like, no, there's not enough good stuff. And, and, or no, there's major deal breakers that outweigh the good stuff. So because there's so much good stuff, it makes it harder to just rip off that Band-Aid and get back out there, which is a pain as we talked about earlier in the program. I had an experience like this in my late 30s. So now to contextualize this, this was after calling off my wedding in my mid-30s. This is after my two-year relationship with who I call Dylan, which was a saga, and I wrote about 20 songs about that relationship. So now I'm like 38, and... I date this guy for eight months and we had a ton in common and we had similar values and we laughed a lot and there were some sparks for sure, but it was really similar to my ex-fiance in that we looked perfect on paper, but there was just something about this relationship that just kept not feeling right. But I wanted to give it time. I wanted to give it time to maybe materialize for that connection to kick in. So I gave it eight months. After eight months, I just kept not feeling right but again now I'm 38 and it's like are you kidding me (laughs) but I broke up with him and I remember calling one of my best friends after we broke up and I was crying and hysterical and and I was also confused because I was like why am I crying so much what are these tears about because I wasn't even that into him and it was only eight months which eight months is a long time for some people but not for me who you know called off an engagement already and her response was really helpful she you know she said listen you were trying to make it work you put in some time and energy and you had a lot of hope that maybe you'd find that tipping point where things would come together for you two because there was a lot of good stuff there and and despite the fact that he wasn't the right one for you and it was only eight months it's still a pain in the butt to get back out there again and be single again and you put a lot of energy and you're 38 now and and she was just validating that it was okay to feel like a mess even though this wasn't like the crushing relationship that Dylan was or you know the crushing event of calling off my wedding and here's the crazy thing though at 38 even though I'd been through all those other relationships and I knew about breaking up and the tendency to just want to be together just for comfort's sake and everything even though I knew all that I still went ahead and after we broke up we still saw each other for like two months We weren't technically dating, but we still just hung out and got together after work. And it was just a security blanket thing because neither of us was fully prepared to move on. We just didn't want to make the break, which is why I never made a clean break. I'm just going to admit that to you, which is why I wrote a chapter in the book more so in this case to say, hey, learn from my mistakes. And really looking back, it was just too uncomfortable. And I just didn't want to sit with the discomfort of feeling alone feeling that void, and then having to muster up the wherewithal to get back out there again. I just didn't want to do it. So I would get back with someone, go hang out with an ex just to fill that void for a while. So one more recommendation for this question. Read chapter nine in my book. Don't get back together with your ex. The definition of insanity. Just to remind anyone who's not familiar with that quote, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. Thanks again for your questions. The love and life hack for today is keep asking questions, but ask the right people so you get the right perspective. And that may mean asking someone like me who's been there felt that, right? Because 
asking your best friend who met her husband in eighth grade about what you're dealing with as a 32-year-old single woman, she probably, despite how much she loves you, she probably doesn't have a lot to offer you in this realm. Or asking your mom, like we've talked about, that may not go so well either. So ask the right people. Ask other people who are out here and have the experience of dating in the new millennium and make sure that you're asking those questions so that you can get that perspective shift. So you can get some ways to look at your single experience and ways to look at dating and relationships that can be helpful, help you take control of your thoughts so that you're not feeling disappointed and discouraged, but you're feeling empowered and ready to tackle the jungle that is the dating scene. You can find me at my website, www.drkaren.me. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Facebook, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Instagram, I'm at Dr. Karen. And I'd love to hear from you, so keep those questions coming. I'm at Karen at drkaren.me. Thank you so much for subscribing and liking the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're also on Stitcher and Spreaker. If you head over to my website, please sign up for my Love and Life newsletter. I send out one or two emails a month, just letting you know what we're covering on the podcast, what I'm blogging about, and any appearances I might be making. Let me know if you have any topics you want me to cover. I want this to be your show as much as it is mine. Thanks to my producer, Michelle Musso, and my communications manager, Dale Gregory. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Abril. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, make it a great week. Make it a great week.